0: Luke 8, 22 to 39. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go out across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sa- sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And, he went, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord.
1: A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child and all were weeping and moaning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, um,
2: it's one thing to say, uh, I believe in God. It's another thing to really trust you for real uh, when we're surrounded by what appear to be formidable reasons to do otherwise. And especially, Father, in those moments where fear overtakes us and anxiety rages and we're not at all sure of what comes next, in those moments, it can be really hard to trust you. And so, Father, we ask, we thank you that you do not merely command faith, but you give it, you impart it in giving your own self in the Holy Spirit. So will you now give us faith that we cannot drum up ourselves? And will you make yourself plain? And will you make yourself vivid? And will you make yourself so vivid that we would find ourselves trusting you you in the midst of of the ferocious and fearful world we live in do that now in jesus name amen please be seated Um, and uh, we're gonna be looking at both those big readings from Luke. So we're gonna be flying high today So to speak uh, over all of it. It's really just one reading. We broke it up so that we could have more than one voice uh, And so it'd be a little bit more manageable manageable. Let me ask you a question uh, How can we live with courage In a legitimately frightening world That's the question and uh, I ask this that question because, in both those readings, which, as I say, is really just one long uh, reading, it's all one context. Uh, this reading asks us to come nose to nose with some of the most frightening experiences and realities that any human ever faces, uh, and, and there's at least four of them uh, in this reading. Here, here they are. there's um, the. Four scariest things you'll, you know, in the world. Aren't you glad you came to church? Um, uh, uh, Natural calamity. Uncontrollable evil. uh, Social exclusion. And just to top it all off, death. Everybody take a deep breath. You're going to need it. Um, first of all, natural calamity. So uh, the the story begins, and you've got this uh, Jesus and his disciples, his clo- twelve closest followers, are in a boat in the middle of a, a lake called the Sea of Galilee. It's not really sea, but they call it that. And in the middle of the this lake, there's this terrible storm that comes upon them, and. And some of Jesus's followers are sailors, they're they're fishermen and so they spend all their life on this lake, but in the middle of this storm some of the sailors look at each other and they all know what they all know they're in trouble. And it's their competence as sailors that actually makes it all more frightening because they know that this is a storm beyond their competence. They're coming face to face with natural calamity. And one of the things that's so frightening about natural calamities is that they disabuse us of the fantasy of our power. We live in a world where we are not the most powerful thing. We live in a world where in an earthquake that perhaps lasted a minute, I don't know, maybe two, 25,000 people die untold suffering Uh, how do we live with courage in a world that is legitimately frightening natural calamities we're not powerful over it Uh, the second one though is is uncontrollable evil so Jesus's followers they narrowly escape that uh, storm we'll talk about that in a second but as soon as they get to shore they come face to face With a man that is so overcome with evil, a man that is so full of, it says, demons that he self-identifies with the term legion. There's a regiment of these demons. And it's really scary. Um, Modern Western culture really uh, struggles to know what to do with evil. Uh, I think intuitively we know, most of us, that there's something like it that exists, but we don't really know how to analyze it. That makes it more frightening. Sometimes we say evil is simply a matter of individual psychology. Uh, other times uh, we say it's entirely a matter of systems. It's systemic evil, and that's all we can think about, and The Bible comes and says, uh, both have an element of truth and neither are sufficient, but that there's also something called spiritual evil. It's something that's very obscure to our culture, but it's very straightforward and intuitive to most other cultures. But in any event, uncontrollable evil, when you come face to face with it, is frightening because we can't understand it and we don't know how to manage it. It's scary. How do you live with courage in a world that is legitimately frightening? And then there's not only natural calamity and uncontrollable evil, but the other big scary thing in our reading is is social exclusion. Uh, Take a look at the second reading, uh, verse 43. You see the woman with the bleeding problem? Now, at one sense, she's facing a, a healthcare issue, right? Uh, she is uh, experiencing chronic blood loss. Uh, no doctor can help her, and, she, and her medical bills has bankrupted her. There's aspects of that that might sound familiar. But the other huge problem she's facing is social exclusion. Why? Well. Uh, In a time before uh, public hygiene and modern medicine, really one of the only tools that one had to uh, address uh, disease was, was quarantine, isolation. And this woman had spent 12 years quarantined. Uh, especially away from the religious life of the community, but also in a deep way from the social life of the community. In fact, the, the just the fact that she's in a crowd out in public almost certainly means that she was breaking the quarantine rules. And that explains why she kind of sneaks up. Do you see that? She sneaks up, she touches Jesus, and she tries to get out as quick as she can. Social exclusion. And if you looked into my heart and yours, you would, I think, find that one of the deepest phobias that humans have is the fear of being excluded. How do we deal with that? How do we live with courage in a world that is legitimately frightening? And then the last really awfully scary thing is death. There's a man called Jairus and his little girl's dying. And he's powerless in front of it, Uh, and so are we. In fact, that last one, death, is is the one of these uh, 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 scary things that every one of you know, every one of us is going to face. Like mortality rates are stable, hundred percent. How do we live with courage in a world that is legitimately? frightening and what i want to show you today is that these stories uh illustrate a unique christian approach to courage a unique christian approach to facing the frightening realities of our lives but doing it in a way where we can know that we stand on solid ground And whether you're a christian or or trying to figure out whether or not Christianity is a good idea. Watch with, watch with us in this story how Christian courage works. And listen as Jesus invites you into a deeper reality of it. All right, so Christian courage. Here's where it begins. Number one, Christian courage begins when you see that Jesus is more frightening than the frightening things you fear. Let me, does that sound weird? Come with me into the story. Turn over to the beginning of the first reading. Um, so Jesus's 12 disciples and Jesus, they're in the middle of the lake. They're going across it. Verse 23, the wind starts pummeling their boat and as the wind pummels their boat, the water starts to overflow and the fishermen amongst Jesus's uh, disciples are almost certainly the ones who are running this ship. They're sailing and And Peter and James and John and Andrew, they look at each other. They make eye contact with each other. And they don't have to say out loud what they're all of them thinking. And they're all of them thinking is this. This is the kind of storm that ends the lives of a sailor. Because they know it's above their competence. And meanwhile, Jesus is having a lovely, refreshing nap. And so they start yelling. And they say, Master, Master, we're perishing. Please don't sleep through our deaths. And then look at verse 24. Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, the raging waves. And they're ceased. And there was a calm. Now, does that sound like an unlikely outcome? Uh, Everybody in that boat agreed. It was an unlikely outcome. Except instead of being kind of skeptical of whether or not this really was a miracle, uh, they also weren't relieved. They were scared. Except in this moment, they weren't frightened of the storm. They were frightened at their rabbi. Verse 25. They asked, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. They... At first, they fear the storm, but that fear of natural calamity gets eclipsed by a new fear which is the fear of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus becomes more frightful to them than the fearful things they fear now what ex- what's going on there? well there's a backstory they're fr- frightened because um as as Members of the Jewish community, they had grown up uh, hearing and reading and praying the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you can uh, trace this theme throughout. The sea is a very frightening reality. Uh, in fact, the uh, the sea is almost always chaotic and out of control. Except, and there's nobody that can tame the sea except except there's one person, the Lord. An example is uh, Psalm 107, so this would have been a prayer that these, that the Jesus's disciples prayed all the time. And Psalm 107 says this, the Lord made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Now that's part of their religious imagination. They prayed that many many times. And that's why when they're in their boat, they're dripping with water the sea is now calm they're staring not at the change of the weather but they're staring at jesus and they're desperately frightened because they're just beginning to realize that they're not just looking at a rabbi and they're not merely looking at a prophet which is up until this point what they probably thought they're looking and they don't know how to say it out loud they're looking at the god of the old testament in person and staring back at them, Jesus says, verse 25, where's your faith? Now, here's the point for you and me. Um, what is it that you fear in life? Like, your big fears. What is it that you fear right now? The acute fears. Got it? How, whatever it is that you fear the most is very likely the thing that really controls you. That's the thing that dominates you. Whatever it is that you fear the most is likely to be the thing that at a deep way is calling the shots in your life. Another way to say that is whatever you fear the most is gonna end up being your functional God. It's going to be the thing that when the push comes to shove really determines what you do. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you come to believe that Jesus is God in person, one of the implications of that is that we get to realize that Jesus is more to be feared than any frightening thing that we fear. Whatever it is that you fear, Jesus has more power than that if he really is God and therefore he is more to be feared than that thing. And this is crucially important because as long as I fear anything in this world more than I fear Jesus, it's an indication that I have not yet deeply internalized what it means that Jesus is God in person. The first step in Christian courage is realizing that Jesus is more to be feared than the frightful things that we fear but you can't stop there. The second is this, Christian courage is based on a fear that is then transfigured into faith. Go now to the second story. Uh, this is about the one with the, the guy with the demons. So Jesus and his followers, they get to the other shore and they're still kind of shaking from you know, surviving the storm when immediately they were met on the beach with a naked deranged guy. And this naked, deranged guy lives with the tombs. Like, I don't want to hang out with that guy. And neither do the disciples, and neither does anybody in this community. But watch how fear works. This man's community is frightened of this man uh, for good reason. They've tried to tie him up and stuff like that, but he breaks the bonds, and he, he's, they can't control him. And as soon as this man sees Jesus, there's a fear associated with Jesus. Do you see that? It's actually, it's not just this man. It's this man and the wicked spirits that are in him. They're frightened of Jesus Christ. But it's important that you see that this is not the fear of faith. And this is not the fear of Christian courage. The demon's fear is a fear that repels them from Jesus. Uh, they're just trying to escape with their lives right and so they kind of negotiate with Jesus Jesus in his divine power uh, drives them out of this man the demons uh, throw a tantrum and they kill a bunch of pigs but then the herdsmen in the community see all this play out and they start spreading the word and as they spread the word the whole community comes but again watch how fear works with them Verse 35, they come together and the whole community is frightened. They're scared to death. But again, their fear is more like the demon's fear. This is not the fear of faith. This is not the fear that leads to courage. Their fear is a fear that repels them from Jesus. They say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you here. Go away. Now. Emmanuel, we need to pause here and consider the mystery of evil and the tragedy of the human heart. These people in the community, they have seen the wicked power uh, that can happen in the spiritual realm. But they've also been witness to Jesus' power in liberating. And yet, with all the evidence out in front of them, have you ever wished, at least, if only I could see something? Well, these people see it? With all the evidence right out there in front of them, nevertheless, there's something in them that's in fear repels them from Jesus and they prefer to take their chances with evil rather than surrendering themselves to Jesus. And now we need to look at our own hearts and ask a, a very difficult question. Here's the question. What is it that keeps you from surrendering to Jesus? Is it that you're not sure it's true? Or is it that you fear it may be true? And there's within us something that wants to push Jesus away. But now contrast that with the demoniac who's now set free verse 35 he doesn't run from jesus actually he's sitting at jesus's feet sitting at jesus's feet is an idiom it means he's learning from jesus they're talking and he begs jesus jesus i want to stay with you i don't want to go anywhere else i want to stay right with you now watch this because this is how christian courage develops we see the power of jesus we see all that might make jesus frightening but then that fear gets transfigured into faith. It, and I say transfigured because it's not quite that faith replaces fear. This man is in totally in touch with Jesus' wild power. It's vivid for him, it doesn't become unvivid for him. Jesus never becomes safe. But it's that this man's fear has now been transfigured into faith so that all the power and the potency is still there and it's been transformed into something like awe, something that draws us towards Jesus. All the power that repelled this man's community is now attaching this man to Jesus Christ. The fear that he had before has now been transfigured into faith. And that faith makes this man embrace Jesus and and surrender to Jesus and cling to Jesus. And it made him courageous enough to sacrifice for Jesus. Look at verse 39. The man begs Jesus, Jesus, I want to stay with you. I want to be one of your 12. I want to be the 13th or something. But Jesus has another plan for him. And he says, no, I want you to return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so the man went away, proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Friends, that's the courage of obedience. And it's a sign that evil had really been overthrown. Because this man, at one level, he didn't want to stay at his house. He wanted to go with Jesus. He didn't want to stay in his community. Think about all the bad memories he had. Think of all the broken relationships he had to deal with but he had the courage to obey Jesus. Why? Because he feared Jesus more than he feared anything else, but that fear was transfigured into faith, which means he trusted Jesus above all, and he consented to Jesus above all, and he preferred Jesus even over his own immediate desires. And the result is that he became, it appears, the first non-Jewish follower of Jesus and he became the first non-Jewish missionary to a non-Jewish community. Consider the world-changing effects of this man's courageous obedience. If you're, a, if you're not of a Jewish background, but you're a follower of Jesus, you're a spiritual descendant of this man who used to call himself Legion. And when you consider that, then look at yourself and remember, don't ever underestimate the importance Of courageous obedience it's a beautiful thing all right big question how do you live with courage in a world that's legitimately frightening well it begins when you see that Jesus is more to be feared than all the frightful things that frighten us but then that fear gets transfigured into faith But as soon as I say that, I wanna ask, well, how does that happen? How does fear get transfigured into faith? And the answer is that it gets transfigured through an extraordinary experience of mercy. Consider now, in the second reading, the woman with the bleeding condition. And when you look at that story, I want you to see how power and fear and mercy all come together. This woman is living in a constant horror of exclusion, right? Uh, And and so Jesus is passing by, he's pressing through a crowd because he needs to get to somebody so that he can uh, uh, rescue this little girl who's about to die. And as Jesus Jesus passes, verse 44, um, this woman reaches out her hand and touches Jesus' garment and, and, and it happens. The same power that had stilled the storm, the same power that had liberated the demoniac, now heals this woman in an instant. And, and she knows she's healed. But she doesn't get away with it, so to speak. Jesus notices. Jesus always notices. Verse 45, he says, Who touched me? And everybody's a little confused, especially Peter. You know, it's a little bit like, uh, Jesus, you're on the subway. At rush hour, don't ask who's teach, who's touching you. Okay, but Jesus does. No, no, no. Somebody touched me. Verse forty-six. I perceive the power's gone out. Now keep your eyes on this woman because she's clearly frightened. Right? She's she's trying to hide, and then when she can't hide, she falls trembling before Jesus and she spills the whole story. Now watch this because she's experienced Jesus's power but she still fears exclusion. That's why she's trembling. There's power, there's fear, but now comes the mercy that catalyzes a transfiguration. Verse 48, And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, Emmanuel, that word, daughter, That's the word of mercy that transfigures her fears. Daughter is a word of intimacy. Daughter is a word of adoption. Daughter is a word calculated to cancel her exclusion and embrace her with a love she cannot imagine. And it was the word daughter that communicated the mercy that transfigured her fears into faith. Emmanuel... I want you to see the miracle of mercy. You see, before you receive mercy from Jesus, um, our fears rage. And they rage because we are unavoidably vulnerable. That's part of what it means to be human. And even if you theoretically believe that there is some God in control, that doesn't in and of itself resolve the matter. Because I might say, well, if there is a God, maybe that makes it worse. How could God allow a world to be as messed up as this is? Maybe that God is uh, capricious or, or, or careless or cruel. But then, in the storm of our fears comes the word of mercy. And you come to see, just like this woman, that Jesus uses all of his divine power to heal and not to destroy and to embrace and not to cast out, and to liberate and not to enslave. And you come to see that all that might frighten you about God is transfigured by mercy to become the ground of your hope and the foundation of your courage. And Emmanuel, that explains why, if you belong to Jesus Christ, all fear is transfigured at the foot of the cross. Because there's a real way in which the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Jesus died and he rose again in order to vanquish all our fears. Think about it. We all fear, like this woman, exclusion. Social exclusion between each other and and so forth. But the bigger exclusion is to be excluded from God. And we all of us deserve to be excluded from God. Because we are all of us like those townspeople. We have all of us in different ways said no to God we have excluded God in various ways the fancy words called sin and by excluding God it is absolutely appropriate for God to ratify our exclusion of him and exclude us back and if you play that out it gets to the Christian doctrine of hell but Jesus comes in power and Jesus comes in mercy And at the cross of Christ, Jesus suffered the exclusion that we deserve so that he could hold out a mercy we could never earn. And it's that mercy, when it penetrates your soul, that will reach down into your deepest fears, whatever they may be, the chronic ones that never seem to go away and the acute ones that torment you now. If they reach into those fears and they transfigure them, when you see the mercy of Christ applied to them, they become fuel for an indomitable courage in Christ. So how do we live with courage in a world that's legitimately frightening? Well it begins when we see that Jesus is more to be feared than the frightening fears we face. But then that fear must be transfigured Into faith and that faith fuels sacrificial obedience and that transfiguring happens when we see mercy. But then there's one more thing. Christian courage matures when you see that your future is secure and good despite present acute pain. Go finally to Jairus. His, this is the daddy, and his little girl's dying. And she dies, and he gets word that she dies, and she dies because Jesus was distracted. And in that moment, all the grief swallows Jairus' life. His worst fears becomes his present experienced Horror. But then, right then, in the midst of that darkness, Jesus delivers a word of power and mercy. He says, do not fear, Jairus. Believe me, and she'll be well. Which is a bold thing for Jesus to say. How can he say it? Here's why. Emmanuel, don't miss this. He can say that because he knows what he plans to do. And he's got the power and the mercy to get it done. Jesus knows that Jairus, despite his present acute horror, his story is going to end well. And therefore, Jesus says, don't fear but only believe. Jairus, won't you trust me? Don't fear but trust me. And Emmanuel, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ, that's what Jesus says to you. In the midst of whatever is going on, I don't know what you're facing. I expect it's formidable. And it's above your pay grade. But nevertheless, Jesus says that. Do not fear, but only believe. And you say, how can he say that to me? And how dare that pastor say that to me? He doesn't know what's going on. Which you're right. I don't know what's going on. But Jesus can say that to you. Why? Because he knows what he's going to do. And he's got the power and the mercy to get it done. If you belong to Jesus, your story ends just like this one does. Meaning, one day, moments after you die, you're going to hear the voice of Jesus, and he's going to say, little child, it's time to get up. Child, awake. And you will awake to a new heavens and a new earth. A world, a physical reality, remade new the way it's meant to be and in that moment just like Jairus's sorrow was undone and transfigured to joy and amazement so that's what will happen to you and your joy and your amazement when you experience the resurrection will backfill the present the the experience of pain in this life and it will amplify the glory of the joy you have to come and therefore Emmanuel because you know the end of your story you can live in the midst of it with courage. Live now, knowing the future joy that awaits you, and borrow that future joy into the present as you trust in Jesus Christ. And if you say, how can I trust Jesus? Look at him in the cross. When you're suffering, the only people you can really trust are those who have suffered like you have. Well, that's why Christians trust God. Look at Jesus on the cross. You can trust him and hear him from the cross say, whatever it is you fear, I have tasted and been victorious over it. So trust me now. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city, and I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel, and if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.